Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This is episode number 304. This is Tim Maluli and Brendan Maluli is here with me today. Tom's out, uh, but in, in Tom's absence, I wanted to mention that 304 is area code West Virginia. Uh, I, nice. I nice looked touch. at, yeah. Nice touch. There are a couple things that we wanted to touch on today. I feel like the most pressing and the thing that's been in the headlines the most is oil and what's been going on in the oil markets. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, we posted a new episode of the Maluli Asset Show uh, yesterday where Tom talked about what exactly happened in the oil markets. He Brendan, wrote, a, wrote a good post this morning, too. That's on, right. Uh, his blog, Jersey Shore Financial Advisor. We'll link to uh, that. Yeah, talk, talking about the same. But, you know, this this kind of price action in oil prompts questions all the time, meaning, yeah. meaning people who don't have exposure to it or don't think they have exposure to it wonder if it's a good time to get in because oil seems pretty beaten up. I mean, and, and we're all going to need it at some point. Uh, we, right. still, we still do a lot of things, yeah. produce a lot of products that involve uh, oil. And so... Uh, does the price being beaten down uh, make it a you know like a good opportunity? I guess is is the is the view that that we uh, hear a lot. Right from clients and and friends and people, just you know they they see the headlines that oil prices went negative on Monday. A lot of people didn't know that that was possible, uh, and then you know kind of like Tom talked about in the video, it, you have to explain the difference between you know, the price of crude oil itself versus the oil futures contracts, which is what people were actually trading on Monday afternoon. Uh, and then there's, you know, oil refineries and, and exploration companies that you could buy. So if you if you get a question like, is now a good time to buy oil? There's There's a lot to it because people don't know that there are different routes that you could take to get some sort of oil or energy exposure. Yeah, I think a lot of people forget that that if, if you're doing a you know a diversified kind of portfolio, you know, you're you're exposed to different sectors underneath the hood. Right. And so you, you know, if if you just own something like the SP five hundred, you do have exposure to oil. And it's probably in the proportion that's uh, uh, a reflection of how well or not well it's done lately. And so uh, j- just show people like how different today is than uh, prior decades. I saw some numbers. So like in 2008, after we experienced, you know, the, the beginning of uh, the 2000s, those, those first eight years of the decade, energy and commodities were in kind of a boom. And that was reflected in the S&P 500 because by 2008, about 20% of the S&P 500 was in energy stocks. Right. Uh, meaning that, like, as you know, from the late 90s through 2008, as as the energy companies started to do well, or as oil went, you know, up in price, and these these companies were making more money, you got exposure to that through your portfolio just just by owning a diversified index. Yeah. Um, so people don't even realize that that they they already do in some capacity own energy or oil companies. Yeah. And and so to even go back further, like 
Like in the 80s, uh, oil was like 30% of the S&P 500 back then. And if you looked at the top 10 stocks in the S&P 500 uh, during the 80s, it was names like, you know, Exxon and Standard Oil, Schlumberger, Shell, Mobile. Yeah. So like, you know, five five or six of, uh, you know, the top 10 biggest companies in, in the S&P 500 were oil. And so you were getting plenty of exposure to it then as these companies were being successful. But uh, juxtapose that with today, uh, 2.8% of the S&P 500 are energy companies. Right. And that, that kind of reflects how that whole sector, oil and energy, has performed in a sense over the last handful of years. Yeah, it's um, it's telling you it hasn't really you, it's been a good you, place to be. Exactly. It's telling you it's market cap weighted meaning that the the better performing companies uh over time become a larger and larger weight in the index. And so, right. you know, it's on it's on kind of a lag as that occurs, but it's basically telling you that like this this hasn't been a place that you've needed exposure to yeah. uh, to participate in what's been, you know, up until the last couple of months here, you know, a very good market stretch over that period of time. Yeah. I also think that, and this goes for other stocks in in other sectors as well. But just the fact that the price of oil is beaten down, and these oil futures contracts were trading at you know zero and then negative, that single variable alone doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good time to be investing. There are a lot of other things you need to consider. What you're putting your money into. Why Why did the price of these contracts go to zero? It's because there's no demand. Right. Like Tom said in the video, there's nowhere to store it. And it's like in in the very short term, we don't know when, when all of these things are going to go back to normal or what the new normal is going to be moving forward. So there are other things to consider than just the price when deciding if you want to put your money into it. And I also think that it leads it itself back to a conversation that we have with people sometimes about interchanging the words uh, investing and trading. A, a quote on the topic, uh, one, and I'll paraphrase, it won't be exact, but Howard Marks has said that there's nobody has anything uh, intelligent to say about the future price of oil. Right. And one of, the, one of the biggest reasons for that is because unlike a company, you know, stocks uh, are a business and we can analyze them and, and take a look at like what, what we think they may uh, throw off in terms of earnings and, you know, profit, revenue, numbers like that in the future. When we're talking about a commodity, you know, like oil or gold or something like trying to, it's, it's even more futile than trying to pre predict what a company's future earnings may be because there's really not, there's, there's not a lot of analysis to do. Right. Like what, what are you what are you analyzing about oil? You're you're basically making a guess about supply and demand in the future, which I think is I mean <laughs> I mean as as we yeah. saw, no one you even if you made a guess about oil, like no no one foresaw could see what was gonna happen now. So all of their predictions about oil were wrong unless for some reason they could predict that a pandemic was going to, you know, wipe out the globe yeah. and like the economy for or, or for that two or you three know, quarters. Saudi Arabia and, and Russia right. would do what they did with, with, with the oil markets lately. It's yeah. Uh, it's it's even tougher to predict than than the earnings that you know and the future of a business. Yeah. Um, but but another great question, like like you alluded to, like investing or trading, like do you need more exposure in your portfolio to energy to oil than than you already have by just owning different index funds and having you know shares in these different businesses that rely upon oil and whatever the case may be in, in a different capacity. I don't. I don't know that you necessarily do if you're the average investor. If you're just the average investor, the way that you're going to get that that exposure to oil is not necessarily like if, if you're a professional and you want to go in and actually trade these futures contracts because you think you have some kind of an edge, that's great. But 
by and large, I mean, what we're hearing from people are that they want to go out and buy some of these weird exchange-traded products, USO or, or leveraged products that are tied to the price of oil. And these products are, are not designed for long-term investing. And I don't, I don't know necessarily that people are doing their homework before they think about putting their money into here because these are meant to be used by like professional <laughs> traders or, or, or on a, you know, a day-to-day basis. And yeah. I know like our, our friend Josh Brown recently said on one of his videos, he was like, okay, so you're using these daily products, these, these exchange traded products on the price of oil. So you have a view on oil that expires in 24 hours. Like you have a daily view on, on the price of oil. Right. Like, are you, are you high? <laughs> what he said, like, <laughs> right. Are you joking? Yeah. It doesn't really make a lot of sense when you think about it that way. But I also, I guess, kind of get where some people are coming from in the sense that, I mean, in Tom's post today, he finished it up by linking to a story from the New York Post. Uh, and the headline was saying, how here's how to invest in oil if you want to take a big risk. And like Tom said in his post, if you're taking investment advice from the New York Post, like you have bigger issues. But at the same time, a lot of people read the New York Post and they see something like that and it's like, Oh, I need to invest in oil. Yeah, and it's and and, and, and they get confused. Right. And that's why people start using the wrong terminology or having a wrong mindset about how they want to get into oil or make money on oil. It's like you're not investing. You need to understand what these products are, how they're traded on a daily basis, uh, and understand how risky it is. Yeah, it's uh a lot of these products, I mean if you're if you're buying and selling leveraged products uh, tied to the, the price of oil. I mean, that's, as Tom noted, that's that's not investing. That's that's just gambling. Yeah. That's, that's trading. It's gambling. Uh, and if you're going to do it because it's fun and it scratches an itch, like at least acknowledge that and do it with something that is responsible, like something right. that you would take to Atlantic City or Las Vegas and yeah. not uh, your retirement dollars. Right. That's- and just and just try to understand that that should oil uh, be on the precipice right now of of a, a huge run where yeah. where it becomes uh, something that you do need exposure to that in many cases if you're investing through diversified index funds things of that nature you're gonna get the exposure It'll to that as, that as those companies succeed they're gonna become bigger weights in in these different portfolios and and you are gonna participate in that by just being you know a, a more patient long term investor and and that that is investing because you're doing that over the long term and and letting market dynamics guide you to that decision you don't have to be a hero and get in at the bottom tick of oil, I don't know what you, you don't get a prize if you guess right. Right. I'll tell you that much. I think it it also, kind of going back to what you were saying about being responsible and just using the amount of money that you might take to Las Vegas or something like that, I think you have to just think about like risk reward. Like if you, let's say you take 1% of your investable assets to put essentially to gamble into oil, even if even if that investment or that trade goes up 300%, like, is it really going to move the needle that much for you in a sense of like making you rich overnight? I like, can retire 10 years early. Right, exactly. Like, like yeah. even if it goes up a thousand percent, that's only 1% of your portfolio. Right. And then if you take the opposite approach and you put in a substantial amount of your investable assets, what happens if that gets smacked in the face and you? lose all of that money yeah. like it the risk reward there is it's asymmetric is it, you is gotta, it worth it you got to think of the probabilities you know what's what's probable here what's likely and uh you know i, th- I think a lot of times when people are are looking 
at doing stuff like this. It, it really is when, when, when you boil it down, whether they've considered it or not, it, you know, it is just scratching kind of a gambling itch. And, yeah. and look, I understand that. It's just that that's not, that's not what we do here. We're helping people responsibly invest so that they have money when they need it and they're right. older and they can't work anymore and they need to be supported. So we're happy to discuss yeah. this sort of thing with people, but it's just, that's not, it's not a part of what we do. And it's, it's, not going to be. So another thing that I wanted to bring up was actually a topic that Josh Brown was was also has been kicking around for the last week or two. He wrote a post on it, I think last week, and then kind of followed up uh, again this morning. Uh, it was about credit cards. And Josh was worried that more economic stress could be put on the system and people's own personal finances uh, through credit card debt. And he followed up today by saying that two companies, uh, Discover, which is a relatively big credit card company, uh, and Synchrony are actually starting to tinker with the credit limits that are available to customers because they're getting worried that people aren't going to be able to pay back their balances, so they don't want to extend too much credit to them. And Discover is actually easing the process of onboarding new clients and giving out new lines of credit. So what are your thoughts on this whole credit card situation? I think it makes sense because these these companies have to run a business. And I think they are probably right to be concerned about people potentially carrying balances over and not not paying in as timely a fashion as, as they used to because people are, are feeling it. And I yeah. think that if you think of the hierarchy of uh, what, what people are going to use uh, you know their money to pay if they're in they're out of work and they just got, you know, a stimulus check and they've got to pay some of the bills. I mean, you're going to pay things like your mortgage and your utilities. You're going to pay for your, your phone and your car and food. Yeah. And if you're carrying a balance on your credit card, uh, I don't eh. know. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe, like if, if push comes to just shove and you have can. to pick something, that's probably going to be it. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I did have a, uh, a funny quote that I wanted to share. I, I, don't know who to attribute it to, but I've heard it a million times. And so it's important to remember that a bank is a place uh, that lends you an umbrella during fair weather and then asks for it back when it begins to rain. Yeah, I think that that's really important because, you know, when when you're thinking about your personal finances and like we always talk about the importance of having a safety net and emergency funds and cash in savings, it's important not to not to really take lines of credit into like, oh, well, if I have to go through my emergency fund and then I run out of that, I can always just put up to five or $6,000 in the short term on credit cards, except when bad things like this happen and then your credit line gets cut down from $6,000 to $1,000 and you can't put as much on your card as you thought. Like then, then what do you do? So banking on a certain line of credit always being there is uh, not a good plan. I just think that you should you should be thinking about it appropriately in the sense that if you need money, unless it's some kind of a personal crisis, uh, if it's a more widespread one, like like what's going on now, where like the economy is is in rough shape. I mean, whether it's the same as today's right. standards or or more typical uh, recessionary period, something like that. Other people might need money too, and so then it becomes like a more systemic risk in the sense that these companies have to worry about whether or not they're going to be getting made whole on the money they lent out to their customers. So they right. may ha- they may have to do what, what we're seeing here, pare back the credit lines that they're offering to people. And unfortunately, that comes as a real kick in the nuts because it's, it's yeah. at the worst possible time. Right. So just remember that. And if you're going to rely on things like lines of credit or credit card that are not 
fully within your control, meaning that they've been extended to you on terms that can be changed by a bank or wherever else, just, just remember that in the hierarchy of things. And if this is at the top of your list saying, okay, you know, I don't have much of a safety net, but I could always use this line of credit that I have, just remember that uh, if you read the fine print, it usually says that they can change the terms yeah. and it's at their discretion and not yours. And so, uh, yeah, unfortunately, it all comes it, it all comes to the head uh, to a head at the same time. Real quick, the last thing that I wanted to bring up was a, an article from Market Watch. There's plenty in the article that they talked about, but there was one point in particular that I wanted to touch on. The headline was how it said 84 percent of Americans say they need another stimulus check. And I know a lot of Americans haven't gotten their first round of stimulus check. But the one point that I wanted to talk about uh, was how it said that they listed a lot of different percentages and stats from people who say that this downturn has really like hit their hit their bottom line and they're they're struggling on a month to month basis. And they said that this is it's really hit people across all wealth brackets. Mm -hmm. So meaning obviously people that don't earn a lot of money are struggling, but people that do earn a lot of money are also struggling. And I think the point that I wanted to, you know, just, I guess, remind people of is that the amount of money that you bring in is only half of the equation when you're talking about financial security. And there are some people out there who think that just because you earn a lot of money means that you're financially well off or you're financially secure. And we're, we're finding out now that that's, that's not the case. It doesn't matter how much money you earn. It, it matters how much you have in the bank. And, you know, if that, if that high earning paycheck stops and in a month or six weeks, you're kind of struggling for cash to pay bills. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, tough. Uh, it's tough because it's not, tough. not everybody even got a stimulus check. And so the, the right. point you're making uh, kind of rings true from that perspective. It's, you know, they, they had to put some kind of limitations on this, I suppose. And so if you make more than certain thresholds, like you didn't even, you didn't even get one of these right. stimulus checks. And, and to your point that may or may not your adjusted gross income, which this was based off of may or may not be a reflection of your, your cash flow or your, or your how wealth. well, how well equipped you are to handle something like this. Yeah. You could, you could be in a rough situation, even though your AGI, uh, excluded you from, uh, from something like a stimulus check. And, uh, to your point, yeah, I mean, like you've got the, you've got the income side, uh, of things, but, but what, what are expenses like too? And if they're running pretty equal with each other and, and by that, by nature of that, you don't have too much, uh, saved away, then, yeah. you know, you could be net worse off than somebody who makes three quarters of what you do, but, but lives on they less. Say, and so, uh, yeah, yeah. you've got to, you got to factor in all, all parts of that equation. Yeah. So I think just, just reminding people that savings rate is, is super important. Obviously right now isn't, isn't the best time to harp on that. And, you know, you have to do what you have to do to, to make ends meet if you're in a tough situation right now. And less and less people are in a situation to actually increase their savings right now. Um, but I think just something to consider that, you know, if you make it through out to the, to the other side uh, after this whole crisis passes, I think uh, re-examining how much you're putting away each month would uh, better prepare you for something in the future. Agreed. So that's going to wrap up this episode of the Maluli Asset Management Podcast. This was episode number 304. Hopefully Tom will be back with us on 305 because I don't know what area code that is. But thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>